in the death of His Son as the perfect sacrifice for your sins. Trusting in His death, burial, and resurrection as the full and sufficient payment for your sin and surrendering to Him as Lord. And if you haven't done that, then our prayer right up front is you will settle that so that there will be nothing between your soul and the Savior. The other thing I would say is what about you as a child of God? Some of you are living your life and you are terrified by something you cannot see. Should you be concerned about what's going on now in your health? Of course you should. Should you take precautions? Of course you should. But to let that rob you of life and rob you of joy and rob you of peace is actually a sin. And it's not well with your soul. Your mind is messed up. You're making bad decisions. And you're emotionally a wreck. And God has a better plan for you and for me. And this all comes to us through faith. And that's basically what we're talking about this morning. Not only the faith to be saved by grace through faith. Are you saved, right? But it's also talking about those of us who are saved living and walking by faith. There's a verse of scripture that Well, it haunts me sometimes. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. God wants you and me to trust Him in everyday situations in the same way that we trusted Christ for salvation. And it came to me one day quite a few years ago, if I'm having trouble trusting God for a paycheck, how do I know that He can take me to heaven? If I can't trust him to take care of my family, how do I know he's going to take me to heaven? And if I can trust him to take me to heaven, then I can trust him to pay the electric bill. I can trust him to provide a job. I can trust him in everything. It all comes down to faith. A friend of mine was in Colorado one time, and it was in the middle of winter, and boy, was it ever the middle of winter. A lot of snow, very, very cold temperatures, and they came uh, upon a lake, and the person driving slowed down the car, and they said, Preacher, you want to go walk on water? They were teasing, of course, a little bit, and he said, What are you talking about? And they said, That's a lake. Go out there and walk on it. Well, this preacher was from this part of the country, and in this part of the country, you don't walk on water, even if it appears to be frozen, because it's not going to be very thick. And he uh, told him, no, they kept pushing him to do it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. And they drove a little bit further, and he noticed that out on the lake, there was a man who was ice fishing. Now, what was the difference between this preacher friend and the man doing the ice fishing is the man doing the ice fishing had faith that the water being frozen would hold him up, that the ice was thick enough to hold him up. Now, one of the things we have to understand about faith is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. But faith is not something we conjure up or work up. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just repeating something over and over and over and over and trying to make it true. It's not that at all. In fact, if you were to walk on water in August to go do some ice fishing, let's say, you're going to have a rude awakening. It's not going to hold you up. But if you could do it in Colorado in the middle of the winter where the ice is several feet thick, it will hold you up because faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. 
And so you can wish that you could do something, and you can hope that you could do something, and have faith that you can do something, but if your faith is in yourself, or your faith is in something that is not worthy of your faith, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And that's why we say and proclaim to you that during times like these, in fact, during any time, even in the best of times, the only one worthy of your faith is Jesus Christ. Because if your faith is in anything or anyone else, then that's an insufficient object for your faith. Now Moses doesn't really understand all of this. And I've entitled this message today, O Ye of Little Faith. Because like my friend who didn't want to walk out upon that ice, he didn't have much faith in it. Well, Moses really didn't have much faith in God. In fact... I'm not sure that anybody did. If you will think with me for just a second about the story that we've been looking at for several weeks, Moses really didn't have any faith that anything was going to happen here. He uh, seems to be contending with God and not glorifying him or um, honoring him. He's looking at himself instead of looking at God's power. Moses doesn't face this with any kind of enthusiasm. We might like to think of ourselves, if God ever showed up to me in a burning bush, man, I would be right there for him. Well, you'd probably be like Moses. Moses didn't have great enthusiasm about all of this. It was overwhelming, going before the most powerful man on the face of the earth and saying that God, a God that you've never heard of, has commanded that you let the slaves go. Well, Pharaoh's not going to go for that. And Moses is terrified and even tries to get out of all of this. He sees his, his inadequacy instead of God's power. But understand this, Israel's not expecting anything either. It wasn't like the Hebrew slaves were saying, any day now, any day now, the Lord's going to appear. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord heard their groaning, not necessarily their praying, not necessarily their expectation, not necessarily their faith. People who say that you have to have faith in order for God to move. Well, I don't see any indication that they had any faith in God whatsoever at this point. They're stuck in slavery. And um, even Moses, 40 uh, years earlier, when he had tried to do something, they looked at him and they said, Who made you to be a prince over us? Well, it's been four decades, but Moses can't get that out of his brain. There's some things you can't unhear. There are some things that you can't overcome. You probably got some things in your life now that you remember from 20, 30, maybe even 40 or more years ago. And they're still there. Someone that said something to you and you can't uh, get it out of your head. Well, maybe Moses is that way too. These people are not going to follow me anymore now than they did 40 years ago. Why? Because Moses knew and God knew and we know that Israel wasn't expecting anything. And also, you think about Egypt, had no faith in God whatsoever. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So it's interesting that in this context of unbelief, unbelief in the heart of our hero, Moses, unbelief in the people that are held in slavery, and unbelief in the most powerful man in the world. And so you can understand from a human standpoint why it is that Moses might not be too excited about all of this. I don't know that I would have been either. But God is not going to let Moses off the hook, and he's not going to let him go. 
As we said earlier, that this is God's appointment, not Moses. Moses didn't make this appointment with God. God made it with him. This is God's timing. Moses had tried doing something to help his people 40 years earlier, but it wasn't the right time. God had them in there in slavery for this 400 years, and now is the time for the deliverer, Moses, to come. And to know that they were in God's keeping. God had not forgotten Moses, even though Moses may have forgotten God. Even though Moses may have felt like he was forgotten, he wasn't. And God had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And after 400 years, I don't know what the people of Israel were thinking about God or about their situation. But they were under God's keeping. God had prophesied to Father Abraham about that, remember? And God had not forgotten and God was watching all over them. So when God says to Moses, this is what you're going to do, and this is what I'm going to do through you, well, then Moses comes up with some excuses. And so he says, um, as we think about this uh, in Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to go down to uh, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Shouldn't that have ended it right there? Verse 13, but he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. One translation says, Lord, please send someone else. The Bible says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. Then when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now this is one of those situations that the Lord Jesus encountered back in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9 verse 22. And it said, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's not a bad prayer. And that's where Moses is. 
As the Lord begins to tell him what he is supposed to do, Moses starts coming up with excuses as if God had no idea. Do you think God didn't know that Moses was not an eloquent speaker? Do you think God was just now finding out that he was slow of speech and slow of tongue? Do you think that God was just now coming up with an idea that maybe Moses is going to need some help somehow? Do you think that an all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God is scrambling now to figure out what he's going to do. No, he knows. The only thing he's asking Moses to do is, Moses, don't trust in your ability, but trust in my word and trust in what I am able to do. And after all, that's where it boils down for each one of us. We are to walk by faith and not walk by sight. Now, notice that the first thing that Moses does is he's kind of asking a question here. Who's to blame for all of this? You're wanting me to go, but yet you didn't give me the ability to speak. Who is Moses blaming? He's blaming God. And any time we come to a point of saying, I can't do what God wants me to do because, and you fill in the blank, you're actually blaming your creator. You're saying, God, you gave me a command, but you haven't given me the ability to do the command. And most of the time, we just walk away from it. We ignore it. We never understand that God's call is God's enabling. If God calls you to do something, He will enable you to do it. And notice, God never said, Moses... You're a great speaker. Man, you're a compelling preacher. People will listen to you. Man, you can turn a phrase and you've got the kind of commanding voice that people will listen to. Whoo, I've been waiting for you. Why didn't you come along 400 years earlier? That's not the dilemma of God. God, in effect, says to Moses, you think I don't know this about you? You think I don't know your limitations? You think that I don't know what you're incapable of doing? Well, of course God knows that. In fact, he said, I'm the one that made you. In fact, I made everybody, and I know the condition of everyone that I made, and everyone has different capabilities. This is not about what you and I can do for God. This is not really about what Moses can do for God. It's about what God can do through Moses. He's an ordinary man in the hand of an extraordinary God. And you know... Friend, that's true for you, and that's true for me. Whatever situation we may find ourselves in, we like to look back and see heroes of the past and see how they rose to the challenge, they rose to the occasion, and how wonderful uh, it was that they were there at the right time at the right place. And if all we do is see the person and say, if I could only be like that person, we've missed it. This is not about being like another human being. This is not about having superpowers or anything like that. This is about understanding the power and the grace and the mercy of a sovereign God at any time. And so when Moses comes and says, well, I can't do this because I'm not able to speak, blaming God, isn't it interesting that God took the blame? And God said, you think I don't know that? I'm the one that made you. And yes, I made you the way you are. Now, there are some things you can grow out of. There are some things you can improve. There are some things you can change. And there are some things you can't change. And you've got to embrace those changes or embrace what you are. 
that can't be changed. That's what I meant to say. And you've also got to understand that when you have something about yourself that you don't like and that is unchangeable, whenever you're bitter about that, you're actually bitter toward God. So what is Moses' problem? His problem really is not about his speech. His problem is with the God who made him. And notice that the God who made him was more than willing to take the blame, saying, yes, this is the way it is. But I am here. I am with you. And I will give you the words to say. This is not about your ability. It's about God's ability. And that's true for whenever uh, you may live in whatever situation that you may face. The second thing that we notice here is who is unprepared? Seems like a strange question, doesn't it? Who's unprepared here? Well, let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes. The very first thing that Moses says in this section of Scripture, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Isn't it interesting that Moses, even after hearing God say what he says, he says, yeah, well, I still don't want to do it. Yeah, well, even with your presence, even with your power, and even having your words, I would just rather you send somebody else, someone who's capable, someone who can really get the job done. Now, isn't it interesting, this man who just a few moments ago was tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep in the desert, he happened to see a bush that was burning, and then he noticed that the bush was not being consumed. He walks up to the bush, he hears a voice, and it's the voice of, of Yahweh, I believe it was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, saying, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, and then he's commissioned to do what he wants to do. Keep in mind, this is the same place, same time, same situation. And this man who was totally ignorant of all of this before, this man who had no idea he was going to encounter God, this man who had no idea that he was ever going to be used of God to do anything great, this man is now giving God advice. This man is now telling God, I've got a better idea. This man is now counseling God. Have you ever tried to counsel God? Sometimes in our prayers, we try to tell God some things maybe that he doesn't know, that he doesn't understand. Maybe there's a better way of doing things, a better way, a different way, a more efficient way, instead of just simply trusting God and obeying God. When Moses is uh, speaking to the Lord, he acts as if this was something that just occurred to God. My father-in-law used to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? And as we read on down to, uh, from this section of Scripture, we're going to find out that God was not just doing this on the spur of the moment. This had been planned. He had created Moses for this moment. And God had also taken Moses through everything in Moses' life that now at 80 years of age, as a shepherd in the backside of the desert, now it's time for the encounter with God and the commission and calling of God to take place. And God promises Moses, I'll be with you. And Moses says, send someone else. And it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, but it was tempered by his mercy. 
And understand this, the only reason that you and I are alive today after sinning against God and presently sinning against God and sins that will take place in the future, God knows all of that and he paid for all of those sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus bore the wrath of God for every sin you have committed, are committing, and will commit. And remember this, God is angry towards sin. And we see a flash of this anger as it comes out at Moses' unbelief toward God. His rejection of God's word. And you know what happens? The mercy of God steps up and Moses is not consumed. And just like for you and for me, how much mercy do we need? We need a lot of mercy. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning. You know why they're new every morning? Because you need them to be new every morning. You need new mercy, and God gives new mercy. And notice how right after that happens, and Moses is not consumed, that God tells him that there's somebody on the way that's going to help you, someone who is an eloquent speaker. And notice how God didn't say, well, is there anything else we could do? And maybe Moses said, you know, my brother Aaron is a, is a great speaker. Man, he is really, really good at this. And the Lord goes, oh, what a great idea. Let's try that. You notice as you read this text that the Lord says, Aaron can speak. Why? Because God knew Aaron just like he knew Moses. God created Aaron just like he created Moses. And he tells Moses he's already on his way. Long before Moses ever realized there was a problem, God had already sent the answer. Long before Moses ever came up with his excuse for not serving God, God had already sent Aaron. Well, I'm so glad to know that God knows my weakness, my frailty, and he's already compensated for them through his sovereign grace and his sovereign plan. And some of the things that I don't even know that I need are already on their way, just as they are for you, because God holds the future. God is the one who has a plan, and God is the one who knows all of our needs. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, not only are our days fixed before the Lord, there's a date of birth and a date of death, and you're not going to live a second longer than God has ordained for you to live, nor will you die a second sooner. You were chosen for this time. But it also says, He knows everything that our mouth is going to say before we even say it. That's astounding. In fact, the Bible says that your Heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask. And there are those times when He says, You have not because you ask not. And then there are those other times when God says, I provided it before you even knew that you were supposed to ask. Moses at this point doesn't really know that he needs anything. He just wants out. And God says, no, I'm not going to let you out. This is my call. This is my plan. You are hemmed in completely in this. And this is what I'm going to do. And you're a part of it. And you've been chosen for this. So fulfill it. Well, I don't think I can speak. I don't think I'm adequate. And the Lord says, I'm your adequacy. I will fulfill it. And then when Moses' heart is still filled with unbelief, the Lord says, look, I've already got your brother on your way. He's going to take care of everything here. And I will put my words in his mouth. And how am I going to do it? 
Here you go, Moses. I'll give the words to you, and you give them to Aaron. And for Aaron to hear them from you is going to be so powerful, it's just like he heard them from God. You're going to be like God, the voice of God, the representative of God to Aaron, and then Aaron will put it out there in front of you. You're never going to get out of what God has called you to do because he's way, way, way ahead of you. So don't try to give him advice or anything like that. Now notice, thirdly, that uh, when the Lord says in verse 17, you know, take the rod, that rod that has now become the, the rod of God, not just the rod of Moses. And then Moses said that I need to go back and see my father-in-law, and I've got to go and uh, return and to Egypt. And of course, he doesn't tell Jethro why he's going. Can you imagine Moses doesn't come up and say, hey, this tremendous thing happened. I saw a bush, it wasn't burning, and then I heard the voice of God. And guess what he wants me to do, Pop? He wants me to go and set the slaves in Egypt free and deliver them. He doesn't do this. I think sometimes faith comes step by step by step. Now Moses is moving in the right direction. And I'm so glad that the Lord remembers our frailty and our limitations. He knows that we are dust. He knows all of that. And God's not interested in your perfection but your direction. If you are moving toward him, the Bible says in the book of James, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. What direction are you moving? Are you moving toward God and toward obedience and toward faith? And you'll find that you'll have no bigger cheerleader in the universe than God himself. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And he certainly is for us. That's why he sent his son to die for us. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. That's why he gives us his word. And remember, Moses is writing this long after this has happened. The time, by the time Moses is writing this, the Hebrews have already been freed. They're in the wilderness, and Moses is writing this all down. And he includes all of his frailties in this. He includes his lack of faith in all of this. It's an amazing thing about the Word of God. It includes the sins of its heroes. Why? Because they're like us and we're like them. Made in the image of God, yes. But also we're sinners by nature. We're depraved. And there are things that we look at differently than God looks at because He says, as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are above your ways. He says His ways are past finding out. They have to be revealed. And when they are revealed, they may be overwhelming. They may be frightening. But whenever we take a step in the right direction, God blesses and God rewards that. But isn't it also interesting that when you've been at a burning bush and you've heard the call and the voice of God, you've seen the miracles of God, then look what he does the very next thing. As he prepares to go to Egypt, he goes to his father-in-law. He doesn't even tell his father-in-law the, the whole story. He said, I'm just going back to see whether my relatives are still alive. And then Jethro says, go in peace. And all of a sudden you get the idea that when Moses hears that Aaron is going with him and that his father-in-law has said, go in peace or with my blessing, all of a sudden Moses feels better. Isn't it strange that we can hear the promises of God from the word of God and yet we don't really relax, we don't really get gung-ho, we don't really move into the right direction until we have human companionship. 
Now, I know that God made us to be relational people, and I know that that helps us, but it still is ironic that the promise and the presence of God was not nearly as comforting to Moses as the blessing of his father-in-law and the coming of Aaron to help him. Isn't that so like us? We don't really want to step out alone. We don't really want to step out and be weird or be odd or do anything. Even when it's clear, we want to have the affirmation of mortal humans that are no better off than we are sometimes. Who's really in charge? Was it really that Jethro said, go in peace? Well, what if Jethro had not said that? What if his father-in-law had said, get back out in the desert. Get back out on the backside of the desert and take care of my sheep. What have you done with my sheep anyway? And now you're going to abandon me just like this? Would that have stopped Moses? I wonder sometimes if we forget who's really in charge. Sometimes we look and we see the government and we think that they're in charge instead of seeing that we ought to obey God rather than men. Sometimes we see things around us, the approval of other people, or sometimes we see their disdain or when they mock us. And we tend to think that maybe they're the ones that need to give us affirmation or give us approval for what we do. There are a lot of churches now that are built around the concept of if we can get the community around us to really like us and see how cool and important and relevant we are, then then we can do something. Hey folks, we need to have the blessing of God upon our lives and we need to trust Him and we need to obey Him because the Jethro's of your life, it's kind of funny when you think about it if you're my age, are not really in charge. They don't really have any say. They don't really control anything. Now, was it a nice thing that Moses went back and talked to his father-in-law? Yeah, I'll give you that. Was it good the way that Moses appealed to him? Yeah, yeah, I think he's good uh, in doing that. But we also need to remember that whether they like us or whether they don't, whether they approve or whether they don't, We can tell them like the apostles did, the Sanhedrin, you determine what's good and what's bad. But as for us, we can't help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Translation, Sanhedrin, you have a lot of power. And it's God-given power whether you realize it or not. But it's God who has commanded us to do this and we're going to obey God rather than men. Now, how would that change your life? How would that change your church? How would that change your ministry? How would that change the culture in which we live if believers would understand who's really in charge? And then the last thing is who's responsible for the outcome? You see, Moses has been kind of acting as though he's the one. God said, go let them, uh, go set them free. And uh, you figure out how to do it, and you better be up to the task. And if you're not, you'll be a miserable failure, and I'll judge you and move on to someone else. Is that the way it is? And yet that's the way we act sometimes. God puts a burden on our heart, and we want to say in Isaiah chapter 6, Here am I, send somebody else. Send them. And we like to be supporting of the them that God sends. We just don't want to go ourselves. We don't want to be personally involved in those. And we make excuses. I can't do that. That's not my cup of tea. It's not the way I'm gifted or anything. When God has made it clear 
Why? Because we think we're responsible for the outcome. I heard John MacArthur say one time, quoting uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he said, and upon this rock I will build my church. And Dr. MacArthur said, it's not my job to build the church. It's not any pastor's job to build the church. Jesus builds the church, and we don't ever want to get in competition with him. Well, I'm afraid some of us have done that, sadly. And we tend to think that the outcome of something depends upon us. We tend to think that we're up to it. We tend to think that we can pull this off. We tend to think that we are the ones that God has been waiting for all of this time. And in our pride, we wonder why the fruit is not as good as it ought to be. We've got to have humble dependence upon God because God is the one who said he would pull this off. In chapter 4, there are several different times where God uses two words, I will. Not I might, not I should, not I hope, not I think, but I will. Because God was never, ever depending on Moses to get this done. This is bigger than Moses, and God knows it. This is bigger than anything that a thousand or a million Moseses could ever pull off. This is something only God can do. And one of the things that would bring glory to God is whenever He calls you to do something that you can't do, that you can think of a thousand reasons why it won't work, and yet God has called you to do it, and when you can humbly go before Him and say, You're the boss. You're in charge. I surrender, and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do because you and I are not responsible for the outcome. In fact, you can do the exact same, same thing that someone else did and they were wildly successful and blessed of God. You can do the same thing and fall flat on your face. How do I know that? All it takes sometimes is a virus no one can see and in a matter of weeks, everything has changed. All it can take is a phone call that you weren't expecting about a loved one who is close to death or something like that, and everything changes. You see, we don't hold these things in our hand. We can't control these things. Only God can. And does the advent of some of these things that we don't see change the plan of God? Oh, no, no, no. All things work together. Get that word in there. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, that would certainly be Moses. Even Moses' inability to speak well was a part of the plan of God so that Moses would not depend upon himself, but depend upon God. You've got some limitations too. You've got some boundaries you can't cross. You've got some walls you can't climb. You've got some things in your life that are absolutely unchangeable. Now, granted, if God gets ready to do something, he can change anything. But some things he has put in your life because he wants you where you are, the way you are, so he can get the glory instead of you. He wants the world to look and say, not what a talented group of people these Christians are, but to say what a great God they serve, to give glory to the Lord. And so God says, you can't, but I will. In fact, God was already doing it. And so he says, look, he's also coming out to meet you. Aaron's already on his way. He tells Moses, I will be with your mouth and, and um, I will teach you 
what you ought to do. And uh, God is telling him that it's by my mighty hand that we're going to have a showdown with Pharaoh and they're not going to talk about the greatness of Moses, but of the greatness of Yahweh. The greatness of Yahweh even before Pharaoh. Um, Someone said, oh, does not all this hold up before us a faithful mirror in which you and I can see our hearts reflected? Truly it does. We are more ready to trust anything than the living God. We move along with bold decision when we possess the countenance and the support of a poor, frail mortal like ourselves. But we falter, we hesitate, and demur when we have the light of the Master's countenance to cheer us and the strength of His omnipotent arm to support us. This should humble us deeply before the Lord and lead us to seek a fuller acquaintance with Him so that uh, we might trust Him with a more uh, unmixed confidence and walk on with a firmer step as having Him alone for our resource and our portion. But child of God, there's nothing that scares us more than saying we have no one but God. We're like the old joke about the pastor that came into his office and said to his secretary, Mrs. Jones, there's nothing now to do but pray. And she said, oh no, has it come to that? And we act as though God is our last resource. If all else fails, trust God. When he should be our first resource, shouldn't he? We turn to Him and we trust in Him. And why is it that we get so much more comfort out of the approval and affirmation of frail humans than we do the Word of Almighty God? That's the lesson that we need to learn out of all of this. God is able. God is powerful. And God knows. And this whole thing is rigged. And you were created for it and placed in it by a sovereign God, whatever it may be. I mean, right now we're focused on the coronavirus, but that's not the only thing you're going through. And you had problems before this outbreak, and you'll have problems after this outbreak. And there are people suffering with a myriad of other things besides this. But you and I were created by a sovereign God at this time and placed in this by a sovereign God. Now, you need to embrace that. And nothing is left up to chance. Everything needed is provided, and it's on its way. We don't know how long this is going to last, and we don't know. This, it may turn out that when we get through all of this, that there were some needed and necessary changes made in us and in our family and in our church and maybe even in our culture. But everything we need to do the will of God is presently here or it's on its way. Trust the Lord. And no matter how you feel or how loud the lion roars, understand that it's Jesus who rules. Jesus is not waiting to see what the devil's going to do or what you and I are going to do. He knows it. And he's already made his plan. Surrender to him and submit to him as your sovereign Lord. And then understand God is the one responsible for the outcome, not you. Rest in Him and obey. I would say to President Trump, with all due respect, you don't control this, sir. 
I would say to any world leader anyway, you don't control this. There's a God who rules and reigns in heaven. Read the book of Daniel sometime and see how Daniel was constantly affirming the rulership and the sovereignty of God above the most powerful people on the face of the earth. And I would say the same thing. He rules over disease. He rules over circumstances. He rules over the economy. And we've got to trust him because it's so easy when everything is good and certain to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Can you say that today? Because it's still true. And God is the one who has brought you to this place. He will see you through it. And it's going to show, be to show His mighty power not to spotlight you. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. And may we add, and is doing and will do. And one of these days, we'll have some great testimonies about all of this to share with those who come along behind us. The great I am is moving and working and ever-present in our lives. Hope in God and rejoice in that hope. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time together, I pray that our souls have been fed. I pray, Lord, that we walk out of here confident in the Lord. I pray that people hearing this by live stream are going to be strengthened in their faith, wherever they may be, whatever they may be facing. And I pray all of this would be to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would draw people to repentance and faith in Christ, to confess you as Lord and be saved. And I pray that those who have confessed you as Lord and are saved would walk in Jesus just as they received him, walking by faith. Lord, we don't know, but we trust. We don't understand, but we trust. We can't scheme and plan and we can't control, but we trust because it's all in your hands. Thank you. We rest in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much 